we got pretty geeky there, didn't we? Hopefully the audience is up for... Uh, that's yeah, exactly what the, I want. The, the right no, that's exactly what I want. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of the Tech Bomb Podcast. In this one, I speak to Will Critchlow, one of the most popular and prolific people in SEO. Will has been doing SEO for 15 years. He founded Distilled in 2005, organizer of Search Love, and one of the people who have been doing SEO for the longest time. In this episode, Will Critchlow and I speak about anything related to SEO A-B testing, testing frameworks, and what it means to be 15 years in the SEO industry. So make sure you listen to the ends, give me a thumbs up on YouTube and a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts. Enjoy. Three, two, one. Will, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. It's all my pleasure. Um, I want to start with the question about SearchPilot. Uh, how was SearchPilot born? So SearchPilot got started originally as uh, part of R&D at Distilled. So um, Distilled was the company that I founded with Duncan Morris in 2005, so SEO agency initially. And then in the last few years, we'd been building uh, an R&D capability. And out of that grew what was originally we called the Distilled ODN optimization delivery network and it had become a yes yeah, so it started as an rd project essentially you know, can we do this is it valuable is it a good thing and became a business unit so we ended up with it having its own pnl internally uh, within distilled and, and its own revenue its own its own customers and then earlier this year so in january 2020 we spun that business unit out as its own independent company and in the process rebranded it search pilot search pilot and uh the yeah and as part of that transaction um we actually sold the rest of the business so the consulting and conferences business to brain labs seo experiments have become absolutely crucial nowadays nowadays i would say to understand really how seo works because rankings have become so much more fluid everything is so much more um uh, customized to the actual vertical you operate in or the keyword. I think Google gets really good at, at not applying the same ranking signals to the same degree to every kind of keyword and ranking uh, or category. So SearchPilot basically is a solution for you to run your own SEO experiments in-house. Is that fair to say? Yes, that's right. We, we, we saw that some of the biggest tech companies in the world were building this capability themselves. And what we tried to do is, is build a platform so that, uh, you know, the the, a more mass market approach. You know, more companies can do this, and many more websites can can run their own uh, their own tests and their own experiments. And we also help them do that. So in some cases, it's kind of self service. So the you know the advanced SEO teams in house at some of our customers are running their own tests completely, and then we also have a professional services team at our end, um, building on our years of consulting experience. Um, we, we have folks uh, specialists in house at our end who are helping some of our customers. Uh, run tests and in some cases actually just building and designing tests for them. Can you walk us through the very basic steps of how to think about SEO experiments and how to set them up? So I think a lot of people are probably familiar with the idea of testing, A-B testing as it applies in conversion rate optimization or user experience testing, where um, we take the audience and separate the audience into, into groups and show some people one version and some people a different version and, and see how they convert and so forth. The idea of SEO A-B testing is somewhat similar uh, and, and certainly relies on some of the same statistics uh, and, and kind of mathematical approach. But the key insight we have to realize is that there's essentially only, uh, you know, if we're testing for Google's preferences, only one uh, Google. And so we can't separate our audience in the same way. 
So what we do is we separate pages. So we, instead of separating the audience and making changes, we, we separate the, a group of similar pages. And so the kind of testing we run, the kind of SUAB testing we run, typically runs on a site section. So rather than just on an individual page. And so we take a site section of similar pages, think for example, a group of product pages on an e-commerce website is, is a classic example. And we, um, we, we make changes to some of the pages, keep other pages unchanged, and those changes are for everyone. So there is no cloaking. This is not being shown only to Google or, or any of these kinds of things. Um, these changes are, are made to some pages, other pages are kept as the control. And then we compare the performance of those uh, of those pages with some advanced statistical techniques and, and looking at their history and, and all those kinds of things. And that takes account of all kinds of other confounding variables like uh, seasonality, competitor changes, Google algorithm updates, you know, all of these other things. And enables us to get to a scientific uh, evaluation of whether the whether any change in performance is as a result of uh, the changes that we made to those pages. Um, that, that's kind of the basic fundamentals. We get then into, into more advanced details um, where we start thinking about things like full funnel testing, which is where we consider um, not only the SEO performance of those pages, but also the conversion rate at the same time. And uh, this is kind of my favorite way of thinking about this stuff, where we're really trying to get to the root of is there any conflict between user experience and Google preferences, search engine preferences? And to the extent that there is, how do we thread that needle, right? How, how do we find the best possible combination of user experience and search performance? And uh, that, that's what I find kind of really exciting. And, and the great thing about running full funnel tests is that they combine the test I talk, talked about with some cookie uh, technology, which means that any individual user sees a consistent site-wide experience. So depending whether they came in on a control page or a variant page, they then see a consistent site-wide experience. So uh, it's actually kind of the, the best version of SEO testing, if you like. You mentioned the point of um, statistical aspects or just the, the um, statistical component of um, SEO testing, which I think is something that um, needs a little bit of attention. And uh, I think it's also something that, that some SEOs um, shy away from. So can you tell us a little bit about how um, search pilot helps SEOs pick the right sample size, understand when a test is statistically significant, where the result is statistically significant. Yeah, absolutely. So, so we focus on um, uh, first of all building the the test that is most likely to be um, significant. And so the way we do that is that at the outset, so I mentioned that we, we test on a site section. What we then do is we have to obviously pick which pages in that site section before we start, which pages are going to be the control and which pages are going to be the, uh, the variant pages. And we do that with a, a form of stratified sampling. So where we, what we're trying to do is essentially pick two groups of pages that are statistically similar at the outset before we start as possible. So they have the same kinds of um, metrics in terms of uh, traffic levels, in terms of variance in traffic, uh, in terms of seasonality, all of these kinds of things, because that helps us identify uh, you know, the name changes are as a result of, of our changes. And it's really important because if you just randomly um, distribute a, a, a large um, a large site section, you can run into kind of troubles because the, um, the kind of power law nature of the web means that some pages will dominate dominate that sample. And so it's kind of important to stratify it and try and try and make sure that you start with um, groups that are as similar as possible. And so then we uh, we run a form of, um, it's based on some neural network technology and it's a, it's a fundamentally kind of Bayesian approach where, where we're kind of saying, we're able to look, uh, look regularly and see how the test is going 
and make the call about whether it's reached significance or not, which is not the case with certain kinds of uh, traditional statistical approaches where you just have to set an end date and you need to wait until then to, to make the call. And so, yeah, so, so our system spits out uh, a current um, you know, uplift confidence interval. And, um, and so essentially when that confidence interval gets above zero, when the entire confidence interval is, um, is positive, we can then call that test with uh, statistical confidence and say, you know, we, we believe that there's X percent chance that this is a, a positive uplift with a most likely uplift of um, however many sessions uh, you know, a, a day or a month. It's, this is the kind of tough area to get into because the actual, what we've tried to do is take, take some really quite complicated mathematical statistical approaches and make the output as simple as possible and make it so that yes obviously there's complexity under the hood but how can we make it so that what we're seeing in the in the analysis is a chart that is uh easy to interpret works in the way that you'd kind of intuitively expect and um is yeah a, a, as accessible as possible to a, to a broad range a broad audience can you talk a little bit about the limitations of um seo testing and specifically who can test and who maybe isn't ready because the way that i understand it is that the smaller the impact of a change or a treatment that you make the more traffic you basically need right so if you make some change or a treatment to a very impactful uh, ranking signal say the meta title mm -hmm. then you might not need as much traffic or as large of a sample size but obviously there is a certain sweet spot. And so I'm just curious about your take and your experience yep. about like who's really eligible for SEO testing and who has to, and maybe who, who might not be ready. For sure. So I, there's two key variables in my mind, which is one is the one you identified about, um, about traffic levels. And yes, of course, uh, you know, I, the, um, the bigger a site in, in traffic to the site section that you're talking about, the, the more subtle you can a more subtle an effect you, you can detect and, and that's true of any kind of testing i mean that's the same with conversion rate testing or, or any of the rest of it where you know google might be testing or amazon might be testing subtle variations in color that would just not be detectable on, on a um uh, on a normal sized uh, website so that, that's one element but that's not unique to seo testing i think the thing that is more unique or more specific to seo testing rather is that um we do rely on there being a certain size of website in terms of number of pages as well so the the kind of testing that we're running doesn't it doesn't allow you to test for example a home page so it's fundamentally not a good approach or, or not even a possible approach for for something like a small a b2b SaaS website right in fact search pilot's own website it, it is not amenable to uh to, to the kind of testing that we do because we simply don't have hundreds or thousands of pages with a similar uh layout similar page template that kind of stuff so I think either web, if websites don't have those pages or if their performance is dominated by a handful of pages, homepage, uh, you know, again, in B2B SaaS, for example, your conversions may come from a too small a set of pages to, to, to enable uh, sensible testing. Um, our kind of rule of thumb is having a thousand organic sessions a day to the site section that you want to test on. And at that level, we can uh, we can detect you know multiple percentage point updates, uh, uplifts, and so forth. So you know we, we're probably not able to detect a 0.1% uplift, but nor do we need it to be a 25% uplift before we can spot it. If that makes sense. So I, I think you can kind of work backwards from there and say, well, um, is it significant to the business to get a couple of percent uplift on this site section? Does it get 
at least a thousand organic visits a day. If both of those things are true, then it's worth uh, it's worth running tests like that. My kind of stepping back from it a second. So that, obviously that's that's the way we're going at SearchPile, and that's the way that our SEO AB testing methodology works. I'm kind of obviously also interested in the broader ecosystem and how um, how we as SEOs think about it, how we think about how Google works, how we um, how also we make this stuff accessible, that, like the, the insights that we find, how we make those accessible to smaller businesses or smaller websites as well. And I think I think there are things they can do. I think if it is sometimes worth doing you know, before and after tests on, on individual pages. I um, you know, still think it's worth being data-driven, even though you can't perfectly capture seasonality, competitor updates, you know, Google impact, the Google algorithm updates, it's still it's still worth being data driven uh, about that stuff. And then the other thing, and this is the the area where I guess SearchPilot is trying to help, although it's not our kind of commercial mission, is we're trying to publish a lot of this data. So we're trying to say, here's what we're finding when we're running these tests on massive websites. And you know, as you said at the outset, it you can't just take a result and kind of naively assume that that's how Google would treat a page on a tiny website, for example. But we hope, as we build that library up, we hope to show you know, things that often work, things that very rarely work, and, and, and kind of nudge the whole industry in, in a good direction towards the, the most beneficial changes. Talk about these case studies for a moment, because since you started publishing them this year, I've read every single one, and I think they're, they're some of the most valuable SEO content out there right now. At the moment. It, no, they're you. absolutely, they're amazing. I think this is exactly... Um, that's that's the most valuable stuff out there. Period. You know, it's like sharing experiments. And I think in the earlier days of SEO, there was a lot of sharing of kind of anecdotal observations going on, and that was super useful. And then Google became a lot more, a lot smarter, or a bit more mm -hmm. complex to understand. And then that went away. And I feel like now it's coming back with exactly those kind of case studies. What is kind of the uh, what was the the test that surprised you the most, or maybe the case study that surprised you the most, where um, the result maybe went against your understanding of things or against your intuition? Well, I mean, there've been a lot that have gone against intuition, which I, I guess is a good thing. It sh shows that it is actually worth uh, worth running these tests. So the the biggest surprise for me, although it's not the most, I think there's two different ways of looking at this. The biggest surprise and and the one that I've learned the most from, uh, I guess. So I think the biggest surprise. Uh, was so we've been able to in some cases, and we're going to be talking more about this. I think we've got some case studies coming up where we have tested entire uh, new templates, entire site redesigns. So rather than just tweaking a particular HTML element or uh, you know adding or removing a particular piece of content, we have um, been able to test an entirely different page, and uh, obviously a group of pages. You know, as I said, within a, a site section, and that's thrown up some really interesting results. It's obviously not as simple to to draw lessons from it because so much changes at once it's not controlled in the sense of like you know we're just making this little tweak let's see what that does it's kind of saying oh well we have an entirely different version if this outperforms we, we don't necessarily know which of these many things it was but probably the most surprising for me was where we we ran a test like that it moved from pure html to a um, client-side rendered react uh template and performance improved, organic search performance improved. Now, we've run plenty of other tests with, that have highlighted problems with JavaScript rendering and indexing and so forth. And my, my hypothesis, my suspicion is that this is not that React was better. This is other things about the design were significantly better than the old version. In particular, the actual final rendered DOM was a much cleaner HTML, cleaner and faster 
HTML uh, template. So, so I suspect it's there, but, but nevertheless, like, you know, you'd never have got me betting, oh yeah, the React version will win um, before that before that test uh, was run. So that, that's probably the most surprising. I think in terms of what we've, uh, the ones where we've learned the most, it's probably been um, a repeated sequence of just how hard it is to write better title tags. Like it sounds so simple, but uh, you know, I, I, and I feel like, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've been in the same boat. I feel like everybody who's been in SEO for any period of time has made recommendations to clients or to, uh, you know, if you work in house to, to, to your own website of just like, hey, you know, we should update, we've done this keyword research, we should update these title tags. And, you know, the, the, it's a classic agency recommendation, right? You know, here's a, here's a keyword, here's a bunch of keyword research, uh, here's a bunch of pages, we're just gonna, we're just gonna do the thing, right? Just simple now, right? It's really not simple and to, to actually outperform the existing um, title tags. And worse than that, we've, they've been some of our biggest negative tests. So some of our worst outcomes have been apparently sensible title tag updates. You know, like you do some keyword research, you find a, a, a way of phrasing something that seems better. You roll it out to a template and minus 20%, 25% organic traffic in, in some cases. And uh, so, yeah, my, my colleague, Emily Potter, gave a whole presentation where about half the presentation was just showing cases where essentially very, very experienced SEO consultants on our team were but just failing to write title tags that were better than the ones that were already there. And so that, that's the kind of embarrassing one, I think, where, uh, you know, People with they like you know I've got 15 years of SEO experience and I, I should uh, you know I, I dread to think how many times I've written in a recommendation that we should incorporate keyword research into our title tags and you know that's not always a good idea. Yeah, 100. Um, it, it's funny because um, we we made the same observations. I made the same observations uh, many times at different companies. Um, first of all, it's hard to write good title text. Second of all the title that you think is best is, is not always the best from Google's or the user perspective. And third of all, there's way more potential in title text than most people think. I think, especially with these scalable sites that you alluded to, um, I don't think they make, uh, they, they use half of the potential that most title text bear. And it's very interesting because one very, very big website out there that I'm not gonna name actually goes against all known parameters of optimal title text. Their title tags are 100 characters long, perform, outperform anything yeah. else. They tested that systemic, uh, systematically. Um, and so mm. I think I think this it kind of goes back to, to, to a point that I'm very bullish on, which is humbleness in the SEO industry. And I think, I honestly think that, or I would love to see um, um, an experiment where, not, not an actual like SEO experiment, but um, a real life experiment where SEOs would put money behind their bets. Right, like, how would SEOs make, would make decisions if they would have to bet a thousand dollars that their recommendation was the best one? I don't think most people would. I think you know, and I think that's that's kind of like a, a false arrogance or like a, a bias that a lot of SEOs suffer from. Um, I certainly did, where you think that this is certainly the best recommendation. But these tests allow us to to spot check or to to falsify that, right? That we don't always know the best yep. answer. And that instead of trying to have a hard stance on a specific recommendation, we should have hard stance on testing certain things and then letting the data speak for itself, more or less. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think I don't think it's actually unique to title tags here. I think what we're seeing with the title tag tests is just, um, as you said, title tags are so powerful, right? They're, they're, they're such a a single big thing where we can see that delta so easily, but this is there in, in every recommendation. I, I totally agree with you, and I think it's not only the um, 
that kind of, I guess, arrogance of, of thinking they got it right. But it's just that it's just the depth of complexity is so hidden from us. And I think it's hidden from us by necessity because we can't just get our heads around the scale of the data. It's hidden from us because the data just simply doesn't exist, or at least not in a form that we can access it. Uh, and yeah, I think that the classic one for me is just, it's really hard to get your head around how long the long tail is. That's the just continually mind blowing. And the the thing that I think the, the manifestation of that is it's, it's always inevitably tempting. We're just human. We go and look at individual rankings. You know, we go and look at some head terms. We go and look at uh, how our rankings have changed in our rank tracker. And without, without, even if we kind of intellectually, we know that this is a tiny, tiny fraction. You know, this is the observable portion of the universe and the universe is, is immense. It, it's really hard to get our heads around that, that scale. And I think that's the other thing that's happening here quite often is that, especially when you do keyword research driven stuff is, yeah, you're optimizing for the ones you can think of without, uh, taking account of the the extreme variation that that actually exists uh, across the universe of, of search terms. Absolutely. And and it starts with having very flawed data itself, right? The, the idea of search volume, very incomplete, very narrow uh, view on what's actually going on. Mm -hmm. how, how often has it happened that a, a business actually started creating content just based on intuition, editorial, you know, guidance or journalistic approaches and without even looking at search volume and then they do a really good job um, at ranking for SEO or how often has it happened that you optimize for a keyword that has low, very low search volume and then it turns out the page ranks for all sorts of um, keyword variations and semantic keywords and there's actually so much more traffic totally. that's, that's coming through. Yeah, and, and that's why we, because um, th there's also a, an interesting question when it comes to SEO testing. In, in a sense, if you're trying to discover ranking factors, it makes more sense to look at rankings, right? So, you know, we made these changes, did these rankings change? Th there is some validity to that. Unfortunately, so the, our approach is much more to look at, we, we look at rankings to explain things, but in terms of picking winners, we look at organic traffic. And the reason for that is because you can only ever look at a small subset of rankings, whereas organic traffic captures the entire, uh, the entire long tail. There's a lot of complexity in there. And one of the things that we would love to be able to do as we as we evolve our product is think about the, the so rankings can be a leading predictor of success, right? So if you move from ranking position you know, 48 to position 45, you're probably not gonna be able to detect that in your organic traffic. In theory, looking at rankings should be able to tell us that something is a good idea, even if it's so marginal that we can't, um, we can't detect it in the, in the traffic yet. And I'd love to build something that, that kind of captures all those things together, but uh, at least at, at the current state of play, yeah, there's no way of getting to the, uh, to the extreme long tail that you'd need to, uh, to, to, to be able to, to be confident that that, yeah, that 48 moving to a 45 wasn't offset by a different, you know, 30, 35 moving to a 39 or, or, or whatever it might be. So um, yeah, that, that's, that's why we take that approach. And I love that. I think in, in my mind, I'm super passionate about this. This is the, the, this is the kind of modern way to think about SEO in my mind, right? Uh, and not a lot of people take that mindset out there. And I love that you push that forward. It's, I think it's absolutely crucial for, uh, to be able to, to keep track with SEO and actually make good calls and to advance the whole SEO community. So regarding the actual experiments, how do you set those up? I mean, one side of that is obviously you work with some, you know, uh, of your closest clients, I assume, and you, you know, they give you, um, uh, the permission to, to publish these, these case studies, but how does that work? I mean, you have, you have an onboarding team or, or, or a services team that helps clients run these experiments, right? Um, is, do you then talk to them and you're like, Hey, could we maybe publish some of that on our blog? Like how, how does all of that work? Yeah. So we're, um, 
we have different kind of levels of, of, of permission needed as we go through different uh, levels of detail, right? And so we're, it, it ranges from, there are some where we want to be able to put the, uh, the customer's name on it and describe the exact change to the, the actual HTML template, all the way through to the other extreme of saying, hey, you know, we ran a test that focused on a particular kind of structured data and you know, it was positive. Or, or whatever, you know, and there's, there's a quite a big spectrum in there. And so we have everything ranging from, you know, some customers who say, uh, you know, you, you can you, you can write up the results, but just don't share our traffic data and don't share our, um, you know, our brand name uh, through to others that are happy to actually do co-branded full-on case studies. There's quite quite a range there. And so, yes, it comes out of our, ultimately out of our professional services team who are at the moment involved in a lot of those tests, whether it's it in um, all the way from ideating them through to uh, analyzing them, or in some cases just supporting, uh, you know, the customer side teams that are doing that. But uh, yeah, it's one of the big flywheels that we're trying to push is trying to say, actually, we want to, um, it, for, for most of our full service customers, the kind of bigger customers, we are, we're essentially writing everything up as a case study, even if it's only for internal use, even if it's only for that that customer um, and then they can use it in their internal reporting they can use it in their um uh that you know their, their board decks or, or whatever they might need and so we're trying to produce these all the time and so then it's just a question of saying well which ones are interesting which ones have a good story behind them which ones do we think the community can learn from and um and then yeah either go to the extreme anonymized end or 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 the extreme um uh you know kind of client sign off end to get the logo on it and, and all the rest of it I love those. Yeah, please, please keep them coming for a long time because I, I certainly oh, we we, uh, we we plan to. Yeah, <laughs> definitely for sure. We, we we see this as the uh, the kind of the our unique content marketing advantage, right? So the, the it it this is why I refer to it as a flywheel. Like we feel that the more we can write these things up and have them kick around internally at our customer site, externally on the internet, the the more people get on side with our way of doing this. Uh, there's a, a way of thinking about how you analyze um, SEO performance, and you know, it's, it's it's good for us. We we think, and um, and like you say, I, I it's also the resource I wish had existed before we had this tool. You know, so I would have subscribed to this email list in an instant uh, when I was running an agency. And so, once again, I feel like I I, I can. Uh, I mean, enough in the target market that I um I, I know there's we're producing something of value there for sure, for sure, um, certainly. Um, what would you say is the the biggest thing that people are missing when it comes to setting those experiments up? Like, what is the thing that your services team has to help out with the most, or that uh, that the biggest mistake that you see companies maybe not using CertPilot? I don't, I don't know if there's a particular thing I would point to that our team has to help our customers with. Like that that tends to be. I think their biggest value out there is, is thinking of great things to test. Actually, it, it's kind of more on the SEO side than it is on the testing side. So it's trying to find, and this is I, from my friends in the conversion rate optimization world. This is very similar to anybody running tests anywhere. It's kind of you have to encourage people to think a bit bigger, to think very creatively, to think differently when you're making a test recommendation than a flat-out recommendation. Right? If you're if you're just saying, we think this is better, you should do this the level of certainty required or the level of confidence required is very different to here's a crazy idea why don't we just see if this is better and so that is some of those mindsets some of that coaching that that's probably where uh we see the biggest um the biggest value add i think when you look outside of just our tests and i, and I look at the kind of the broader 
SEO industry and, and other folks who are running these tests. I, I think the biggest thing is just a challenges on the on the statistical side of it. So um, either not even not running controlled tests. So 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 what people call tests are in fact just changes, right? And and I think and I, as I said with, earlier with the smaller sites, I, I don't want to knock that. I think it's a, it's a very valuable thing to do to make a change and then look and see what happens. Like that, I, I don't want to kind of uh, uh, I don't want to say it's a bad idea, but I also think it's important that when you, especially if you're publishing the results of that, especially if you're, you're trying to educate the the audience and the community about what you did and whether it was a good idea, there's a lot of caveats that have to go with that. And actually, we're very sensitive to this in our case studies as well. You'll, you'll notice a lot of us talking about why we think this might have been the case in this specific case, rather than necessarily trying to draw, you know, always do this lessons that, that are very broad brushstroke. And I, so I, I guess if I had to sum up as one thing, that's the thing. It's people try and draw lessons that are broader than the data supports. Um, and, and really what we've found is tests are valid in the context they were run, on the site they were run on, that kind of stuff. And yes, we can try and draw broader recommendations from that, but we can't necessarily draw um, kind of firm scientific conclusions that will hold in, in other domains. And so, yeah, I, I think that's what I want to, um, I want to encourage more of it is just that level of critical thinking. And I think we, it's not just in testing across SEO generally, just stepping back and you know, when somebody, there's a lot of misinformation out there, whether it's on Twitter, in forums, on Facebook, on Reddit, what, conferences, uh, coming from Google, it's like there's many, many places where you can find things that, that are not quite true. What I try to encourage our team and I would encourage everyone is just have that, apply a level of um, uh, your own critical thought to that. Try and understand why could that be true? Why might that not be true? Go back to first principles. You know, is there an information retrieval reason why that should be true? And we, we actually have guidelines internally about how we guide our customers to make different business decisions, uh, even under the same statistical answer, depending on the strength of our hypothesis and the, what supports it. Right, so so if we have a very very strong reason to think something might be true, and there's uh, you know it, it, it's it's information retrieval, good practice, and and so on and so forth, and then you get a somewhat neutral or you get a neutral result, you may still choose to roll that out because it's good hygiene, it's good for you know it, it, in general in principle if you do this repeatedly it's going to be good for your website. In in contrast, if you get a uh, a, a strong um, you, know, you get a, a statistical confident result that is a complete surprise or goes against your intuition, that's a great time to, to step back and say, uh, A, like try and understand it. B, look for the confounding reasons why it might not be true. But C, also, you know, potentially rerun it or run, run a variation of it or, or sense check it and try and make sure that um, that it holds together as you, because um, ultimately what we're trying to drive is business results, not just you know, not just exciting headlines on case studies. Preach. Preach. There was so much, so much truth in that statement. So thank you for that. And I want to talk about your your um, 15 years of experience in SEO, but I want to um, allow myself one last question about this, uh, about SEO testing. You mentioned that a lot of people have a hard time actually finding the thing to test. How do you best think about identifying what ex SEO experiments to actually run? I think we try to draw from multiple different pots of ideas so this is a this is also a great example of diverse teams outperforming um individuals or or, or, or yeah homogenous teams right get ideas from different places 
get ideas from not just your SEOs, but your content people and your technical people. And uh, you know, the, a, a wide range of inputs can be really uh, can be really valuable here. So we will we will look from you know the kind of classic best practice technical audit type recommendations, you know, kind of checklist type stuff. We'll look at uh, kind of content driven ideas, particularly search intent focused ideas. So what are these pages for and how do they, are they matching that intent as closely as they could? We'll look for kind of the more out there ideas. You know, if we were going to do something different, what, what would that look like? And we'll also do quite a lot of competitor type uh, research and thinking. That's, that's one that I particularly uh, value is when you, know, you, you, you put together a presentation that, that shows, hey, uh, you know, across this this kind of um, area of search, there's you know, three broad attacks, right? So think, think in you know in travel, there's like the OTAs, there's the uh, individual, um, whatever it be, airlines or, or, or hotels or, or, or whatever else, um, and there's the media companies, and each of them are producing different kinds of content to satisfy the same kind of intent in some cases, or, or at least the same kind of keywords. And sometimes those keywords have multiple intents. Sometimes people are doing more research. Sometimes they're more commercial, etc. And um, yeah, so it can be fascinating to say, you know, what can we learn from our search competitors who are not our direct competitors? So, you know, if you're an OTA, what can we learn from the operators or the, uh, the, the media companies? And sometimes it can be worth saying, what can we learn from our direct competitors? Is, is there, are we missing something? You know, you mentioned the, the site you were talking about with the extremely long title tags. You know, well, if you see one of those in your industry performing really well, that's a, that's a kind of classic place to get an idea. So, yeah, I, I think that there is a lot of art as well as science in this. Uh, and one of the but one of the things that we try and do is, uh, and I would recommend, uh, uh, you know, organizations that are trying to get good at this is build a swipe file as well. So, so you know, kind of documentation is your friend. Build a list of things you've tested on other pages, kinds of tests that are working for you, tests you want to run. And you know, we, we often have a kind of combination of Think, things that we wish we knew. <laughs> so Google releases FAQ schema. Well, we want to know is that is that likely to be a good thing on your website or not? So so that that kind of funnel of ideas can come from come from many places. Amazing. Thank you so much for that. Um, now touching on your longstanding experience in SEO, I think it's it's over 15, 15 years um, by now. Um, you recently wrote an article on Moz. Uh, titled 15 years in SEO is a long time. And um, just for the, I'm sure most listeners have actually read that article, but if you had to point out what some of the biggest changes are in the last 15 years, and there, there are many, uh, but what, what, what are the ones that come to mind first? Like how, how do you think the, the industry, the, the craft and the art has changed the most over the last 15 years? So... Well, a lot has changed. There's a surprising amount that is recognizable as similar, right? Like that, I think that I'm constantly amazed by both bits. You know, the 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 thing that keeps me engaged and interested in in working in this industry, this for this long, is the change and is the um, the curiosity that we can delve into. You know, what's new and what works and and what works, and what doesn't, and so forth. But on the flip side, you know, I probably gave a presentation in. I don't know, in 2006 or 2007 that said, um, you know, that talked about search intent and whether Google can crawl and index your site effectively and whether, uh, you know, you were demonstrating the right authority. Uh, and if you had those things, then you're set up 
pretty well, right? And then you know that that that's true in 2020 as well. So it, it fell in eras for me. So for me, there was that kind of early 2000s, Google coming from nowhere, dominating you know, the, the search engines that used to exist before that. And you know, really, that was all about PageRank, right? That, that was the innovation. PageRank was the innovation. And uh, th that meant that links were so incredibly powerful. And that, so that, that for me was that first era. Then the, the kind of reaction to that, I think, was, was realizing that actually the, the unique value that PageRank brought Google wasn't solely about ranking things better. It was about the fact that they could rank um, documents well on a much, much bigger web corpus than anyone else could. Right. So if you think about like a human curated search engine works incredibly well on a, you know, a web that is 100 pages. Right. If there's only 100 pages, ask a human. But when you get up to web scale, Google, that was where Google's advantage really shone. And that's where PageRank really worked. And what the next realization, I think, was Google. And we didn't see this at the time, but, but as you look back on history, Google invested everything they had in making the web bigger. Right. They, they literally funded the creation of a lot of the web through AdSense. Right? They were paying people to write long tail content uh, to make the web bigger and get better at indexing it than anybody else. So Google built a bigger index than anybody else had and broadly speaking, pumped their, you know, pumped their revenue back into the engine that made the web bigger again. And that led to uh, the um, incredible era of, I would say, uh, you know, 2007 to 2010 of literally, if you have a database that doesn't exist on the internet, put it on the internet and let it get indexed. Question mark profit, right? Like, or, or, or find a way to create a database that doesn't didn't exist before. And that it's that era that produced everything from TripAdvisor to um, you know Zillow in the US, Zoopla in the UK, um, all of those kind of people who are creating, essentially creating or publishing databases that had never been published before. And it was enough to just have long tail content. Then the backlash to that comes along, which is you know, low quality content. And, and you see the kind of era of content farms, demand media, e-how, um, all of that kind of stuff, duplicate content, literal scraping of, of content. And uh, if you go back and read Hacker News threads from that era, you'll see people complaining about Stack Overflow being outranked by Stack Overflow scrapers in, in Google search results. And, and that of course led to Panda and then later Penguin and, and, and so forth. And so we, we then start entering the era of content quality. So it goes links, it goes content, it goes content quality. and um, and into link quality, right? So obviously through that whole era, they're battling spam of all kinds, whether it's um, content spam or link spam. Like the next wave that we were late to, I think was mobile. And that um, you know, we all thought it was becoming a big thing. Two years after Google was all in, I think, realistically, because they'd seen it in their own data and same with Facebook. I, I'm probably missing, I feel like I'm missing something else. But anyway, the, and then getting into the eras of, machine learning and artificial intelligence, where, you know, if you go back to 2010, you find presentations, presentations from Google is talking about how they don't use that stuff in organic search, you know, that, that they wanted to understand their own algorithms. They were okay using it in paid search because they had a clear thing they were optimizing for, which is essentially revenue. Uh, but they, 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 they were against it in, uh, in organic search. And then of course, the con there was simultaneously the need for it and the capability of it both increased and that was then there was a lot of people turnover so you know you, if you look I, I forget the exact timings but 
2014 onwards, you see a lot of leadership changes um, and a lot of uh, senior technical leadership changes. And the new guard are the machine learning guard, essentially. And clearly that's where they're all in right now. And so, yeah, you get to kind of the content understanding and intent understanding end of things. And this is why we're all in on testing is, is I think the only way to operate sustainably long-term at scale in that environment is to, um, is you can't just apply those kind of cookie cutter recommendations. You have to be tested. 100%. I think that there was the, the change of the old guard that was led by Amit Singhal, then over to Ben Gomez mm. and uh, Jeff Dean and a couple of other people as well. Uh, Briefly, John Ginandria, John Ginandria I, yeah. who I think wasn't there very long, but but, but actually was a was an ML guy. Um, and yet Jeff Dean, I think, is, is the underpinning, um, probably quietly behind the scenes through all of that. Uh, of course, I mean, there, there was there was some scandals buried in there. Like, it's impossible to tell um, exactly who got pushed out for what reason. And so, uh, you know, it's not necessarily that changing the guard was all techn technology driven. Uh, you know, they certainly parted ways with some folks that they, they wanted to part ways with. Um, but yeah, you, you, you look at, you look at the folks who were in charge in yeah, a decade ago and compare it to the to Jeff Dean's team, for example, and you see that uh, see that pretty clearly. Yeah, and it's very interesting. I, I do remember an article on, on one of the big publishers. I don't remember exactly which one it was um, when RankBrain came out around 2016. And there was a very subtle mention where some Googler um, said that it was kind of this transition from an old guard to a new guard. The old guard was led by Amit Singhal and, and basically they built the algorithm after his intuition or his understanding, which they said was mm -hmm. amazing, right? And he said that he just intuitively right. understood search on a, on a deeper level than most people. But as you, as you said, mm -hmm. then they switched to a, a machine learning approach where the data basically makes the right calls. And I think in some cases, not, not in all cases, but in some cases it might even be hard for Google to understand why the machine makes a certain change. But basically they say, they basically feed the machine problems and then the machine figures out what the best solution for it is. Yeah, so I, I, again, I would probably split that. I think there's a, a third era in this. There's the first era, which is the, um, we know why we've tuned the machine to work this way, right? So yeah, like you say, Amit Singhal's um, intuition, definitely. There's a era before them, and then machine learning is the end state. There's a, I think there's an era in the middle, which is it's still deterministic algorithms that we understand where we've tuned the, the parameters, but we don't know why this parameter is better than that parameter. So I think they did go through a phase in the middle where they were, they were repeatedly testing different tweaks to those parameters. And in fact, there's a, there's a great comment I found buried in an old Hacker News thread from a, um, a, a Googler who'd left a few years prior who said, I think he was there in 2008, something like the late 2000s, um, who said he had a, a, an eye-opening moment where he, he, he wrote some code. He had a version that he thought was going to work and he went to someone like Amit, who said uh, that actually he wanted him to take the square root of, of one of these parameters. Uh, and, and he said, like, why? Like, I, I, don't, I don't really get it. Like, the, I don't have any intuition about why the square root would be better. Um, and the, the answer was just basically we need it to not, uh, it, it wasn't really based in information material. It was like, oh, well, we just need this kind of performance. And then what we'll do is we'll test it. Right, so we'll go and see if these search results are better with the parameter like this. And if they are, we'll use it. We don't need a reason why. And it, maybe it's not square root. Maybe we take a log, right? Like it, it's, all we need is like 
to dampen it a bit. And um, the just that that concept of kind of saying, yeah. So, uh, and so I think in that first era, they they knew what the parameters were and why they were those values. In the middle era, they knew what the parameters were, but not why. And so they probably could say, like, we don't know why this produced better search results, but it does. And we know that this page outranks that one because, you know, this heavily weighted um, ranking factor it outweighs all these others. The machine learning end, it, there are so you know there are billions of parameters, right? They they don't even know, or you can't even hold in a human brain what the parameters are. Never mind what their values are, and they don't necessarily map to any kind of sensible human. We don't have languages for these things. We don't have words for these things. So you can't just say this group of parameters relates to quality. This group relates to relevance. This group relates to authority. Like you could do that in the old eras, but in the machine learning era, it's just like well, there's just billions of parameters, and the machine is just spotting patterns that we can't see. One hundred percent, and that's why to me, a part to make that more understandable are the um, quality rater questions or the quality quality rater guidelines and the panda questions that, that they release from time to time. Mm -hmm. That to me kind of tries yeah. to bring to the point what these intangible fluid type of signals are that the machine might be looking at. And I think well, it tells you what they're optimizing yeah, for, doesn't yeah. it? Like, I, I think that's the, that's the thing is, is, is they haven't yet built the Oracle, right? Google's machine is not perfectly representing Google's intent. And whereas the quality rater guidelines actually show you what they're, what they're trying to do. And I think, yeah, so actually, and I didn't mention it earlier, but that, that is another source of our uh, test ideation. So thinking not not specifically like rate of guidelines, although that might be one of them, but that kind of, um, you know, what would we change if we were trying to impress the people who write the Google algorithm? Yeah. Right. You're like, what, what, what do we think is the page they want to outperform here? And what would the test, what would the test be that we think moves us closer to that idea? 100%. I think we outlined quite a lot. Um, but I think there's there's one last question um, to, to to wrap this conversation up, which is looking at all these changes over the last fifteen years of your career, you know the the the, the point where you're at now. What keeps you in the game? What keeps you doing SEO after all these years, after all these eras, uh, and after having having done so much? Uh, curiosity. I, I think fu fundamentally, I, I love the fact that we're working with um, something that, that, that's meaningful, right? It, it's not just an academic game. This, uh, this, this drives business outcomes. It creates jobs. It, uh, you know, improves all kinds of uh, careers uh, and that side of things. But actually, the, the thing I, I get the kind of the kick from is, is it's the problem solving. It's the, huh, that's weird. Like, what, why might that be true? Or, uh, you know, what, what do we think? Also, the, the, what do we think might be true tomorrow? The trying, you know, trying to extrapolate our, our own trends out of this stuff. And um, yeah, it's, it's a game that's kept changing just fast enough to keep me engaged, I guess. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that, that it, it's, it's a great blend of you know, technical enough with enough human interest and enough change that that I can I can stay curious. Here's to more changes in the future. Uh, well, you're certainly master sure. of your craft, and this this conversation was was sheer pleasure uh, for me, and I'm sure for many uh, listeners as well. Um, besides SearchPilot.com, where can people find you and follow you? Best is Twitter. So I'm at Will Critchlow on Twitter. That's the uh, probably the platform I, I use most, and from there you can find any other way of contacting me. So uh, yeah, start there and let's have a chat about everything from. Uh, 
search algorithms, split testing to auction theory or uh, basketball. Amazing. Love it. Thank you so much for coming on, Will. Thank you for having me. It's been, uh, it's been a blast. Appreciate it. Cool, man. That was straight fire, dude. I could have gone on for hours. Thank you so much. Three, two, one.